Yes, 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 yes. You know, I'm already, I just like already started recording because I feel like two just natural comedians on the mic. And I'm so curious about so many things about you that this hour is just going to fly by. First of all, hi, hi, how are you? I'm good. I'm this week has been like wild, but I feel really good. I feel I feel, uh, I feel grounded. I feel like I'm on the path. I'm feeling like I'm good. Ooh, I just got goosebumps. I like that. Thank you. How are you doing? Um, I feel good. I also, I also feel on the path, but it's, it's, it's still the same path that I've always been on, but it's slightly a little bit more outside of my comfort zone. Yeah, um, okay. so it feels good. Cause I'm like, Oh, this feels really good. It's also really scary. So I'm like, okay, cool. I'm like in the pocket. I'm where I'm supposed yeah, to be. The best is like when it's a little scary and you're like, all right. Well, and it hasn't been, it hasn't been scary in so long because I've yeah. done just straight comedy for so long. So kind of stepping out and doing something. I mean, mama will always still be doing the yuck yucks. Don't get yeah. me wrong. Yeah. Um, but stepping out and doing things a little bit different or even just opening up and going, wait, is it, a, is this a cat? I know. I'm sorry. She's <gasps> Intro, intro, intro. Oh my goodness. Oh, this is my cat, Casey. I named her after Casey Musgraves. Ah. I know she is a dog. She is, yeah, she's a dog. She is all over me 100% of the time. She's a pandemic cat. I was rescuing cats for the, through the pandemic and she was a foster and I was like, I can't give her back. There's no way. She's too cool. Her name is Casey after Casey Musgraves because she's like spicy. And I yes. feel like it's spicy, but sweet and like yeah. loving. So yeah, Casey yeah. definitely like, she's got a story of where she came from, but she's writing her own story. <laughs> you know, that's, that's how I feel. what my cat is doing. Yes. So Casey, the cat with a K is like, listen, this is my story now. Okay. Like yeah. the pandemic is over. I'm with yeah. you now and I'm here. Uh, yeah. So friends, if you've been listening, you're like, this is going to be a really exciting episode. Who are we talking to? My friends, I am so excited for today's episode. Uh, I'm going to tell you how we met and you're going to go, that makes sense. Uh, please help me joining hilarious, hilarious stand-up comic, Margot Lee Hamilton. Hello, everyone. Thanks for having me. Hi, hi. But also, um, like famed national commercial actor. Yeah, yeah. Well, I came. Girl out be girl be booking. Girl be booking. Girl is grateful. I came out here to be an actor, and I went to acting school, and I got on a phone with a psychic, and she was like, "You should do stand up." So now I do. <laughs> Shut up. Is that true? Yeah. That's so, okay. Okay. So walk me back. Where, where are you from? I'm from Hartford, Connecticut. Okay. And so pro- how much comedy is happening in Hartford, it, Connecticut? Uh, my dad's really funny. And I think that's the end of it. Um, okay. Okay. Yeah. So he's really funny, but uh, growing up, I mean, I came out singing and dancing. Like I came out of my mom's pussy fully. Can I say pussy on this podcast? 100%. Okay. I came out of my mom's pussy fully singing and dancing. And my parents were like, we got to do something with her. So sports wasn't working. And then I just, I've been in, I did started community theater at like eight. Yeah. And then I went to acting school and I was like the lead in all my plays at school. And uh, yeah, my parents were like, we don't know if you should go to acting school. And then I kind of just did it anyways. And, and now, you know, however many years later, I like talked to my parents and I'm like, see, it paid off. I'm like, see, I'm doing it now. Cause so many actors who go to acting school don't use their degrees. Yep. Right. Cause it's hard as an actor. And I'm like, see, I did it. <laughs> yeah. I felt the same way. Cause I remember when I told my parents, they were not surprised. And I was like, I'm going to school for musical theater. They're like, yeah, that yeah, checks out. So- yeah. Um, but it was really nice where, cause I was like, listen, I could go for something else, but I always tell people, I'm like, don't have a fallback plan. Cause then you're full back. 
If you decide this isn't for you or you outgrow it or you discover another passion, do something different. But like, frankly, in my humble opinion, like most degrees don't really mean anything anyway. So go to school for something at the time that you're actually interested in because who the F knows what you want to do with the rest of your life, right? Right. Um, So that was the same thing where I told my dad, I was like, listen, I'm going to be in a lot of debt either way. So I want to go to school for something I really want to do. And then, uh, well, I'm actually humble brag, still paying off my student loans. But um, when I made back everything working as an actor at Second City that I put into classes, I remember that felt really good where I was like, oh. I've made back now everything I put into it. And that felt really good. That's excellent. And yeah, I love that you're a musical theater girl. That's why we vibe so much. Like, okay. Like musical theater kids are a very special brand of children. They're, they really are. They're the indigo children of the stage. And it's so funny because I, um, I didn't even really meet you because this was pre-pandemic. We just were in a lobby before an open mic. And I remember being like, that girl, she's got, she's got something going on. And I don't, we maybe like, maybe talk back and forth. I feel like you were wearing overalls and I made like a very girl, like cool overalls or something, you know, kind of like, Hey, how are you? Um, And then I just started following you on Instagram and then, you know, the world shut down. So we just kind of communicated that way. And then coming out of the pandemic um, was when I really got to see you like stretch your legs and really get up and, and just see how incredibly funny you are. And I was like, you know, sitting on the other side of my phone being like, I knew it. I knew it the whole time, you know? <laughs> you. Yeah, yeah that's of course. I remember meeting you so vividly. And what's funny is every time I meet like a person I feel really connected with, I'm usually wearing overalls. I don't know. Ooh. And it's the same. I like, I met one of my, I met somebody in Italy wearing overalls, but I remember sitting in the lobby with you. Same. I don't even think we said much, but I was just oh. like, I just, re- I do remember saying to you though like I really like you I was like yeah I just like I don't know you but like have a good set yeah <laughs> do your best out there man yeah, yeah. Like, you're amazing we well because we yeah it, it was at the um a space that didn't you didn't necessarily go into the same room right so yeah. I don't think we went into the same room so I didn't even yeah. see you get up but that's so funny so, okay. So you make, when did you start to make this transition where you're like, all right, this psychic said, do this. Is that the same psychic who told you you were a king in a past life? She kind of, yeah, it was like a two hour phone call and she told me everything. And I was so like, she's changed your life. She is the best. She is the best. She is the best. She is the best. She, she changed my life. And then every, like when I first, cause I've talked to her a couple other times, but like the first initial two hour conversation, my life felt like this. I was like, Oh, okay. This all makes sense. Like she told, okay. So she told me I was a King in a past life, which made sense. And she kept saying, um, it's your words that move people like mm. this person, like Think of the scene in Braveheart where he's standing there and his words are motivating the people. He was like, he's like, that's you. And I felt like my whole life, I have, you know, many gifts, like we all have many gifts, but one, I think one of my greatest gifts that I'm most grateful for is my ability to communicate. Mm-hmm. Like I think just growing up in a chaotic household, I really had to learn how to structure my words with intent Yep. Um, to be heard. So when she said that, I was like, okay, that makes sense. I, I love to talk, you know? And then I was like, okay, well, I don't know what I'm doing about like my acting career. Like I hadn't booked all my commercials at the time. I was like, it's, it's like, it's going, but it's not going. And she like cut me off. She was like, stand up. She's like, we want your words. Cause I like mentioned, I was like, yeah, I'm in the groundlings and like, I like comedy. And she was like, no, she, she did her thing where she takes a big breath and like talks to your spirit guides. And she didn't even talk when I, she, she was like, stand up, stand up is where it's going to be for you. And then she goes acting. Eh. Yeah. She goes, will you have a show? Yeah. But eh. yeah. she's like, we want your words. The people want your words. And I was like, okay. And this was when I had taken, um, uh, trip. I was a nanny for this very high profile family and I, yeah, they're in the industry and I adore them. I just saw, um, like the other side of the TV and film industry and it yeah. like broke my heart. 
And like, I came back from that trip and I was like, I never want to be an actor again. That was brutal. They treated me wonderfully, but it was like the phone calls I was hearing. Oh yeah. I was like, oh, this breaks my heart. I don't want to do this. I don't want to be in this. Like I love to perform, but I don't want to have to deal with that. So then my agent was like, let's get you on the phone with the psychic. (laughs) Really? Yeah. Your agent. Okay. First of all, I love this. This story just, it just keeps getting better. Just like season two of the OC. So, okay. Yeah. So, So I love, yeah. Your agent's like, all right, listen, don't quit acting. Let's get you in touch with a psychic. Then we're going to figure everything out. Yeah. And subsequently you did. Yeah. Weirdly. I just, I have, I always wanted to be a stand-up kind of like, I was always going to shows being like, I wonder if I could do that. That looks really fun. And I'll plug her name right now. So Audrey Stewart is one of my close friends. And I right. used to go see Audrey before I even knew her. Cause I was like, I want to be like her. And now she's a close friend of mine, which is so funny. So I used to go to all these shows by myself. Yeah. Which is obviously my intuition being like, this is where you need to be. Yeah. Um, and then after that trip and to England and after that phone call with a psychic, I was like, okay, two feet, two feet in. I didn't know what I was. I had no fucking clue what I was doing, but I always knew that I was like funny. Yeah. Um, and then as where I, I, that's kind of right around the time I met you, honestly, because it was like August, 2019. So I started comedy like six months before the pandemic. Okay. Yeah. Cause that's, I know, I know, but you know, I think. I, I mean, everybody went through the pandemic or, or well, everybody did it differently, but comics, I think also did it differently. Like some did all the Zoom shows. Some yeah. were finally like, awesome. I can finally take a break from having to be on all the time. I'm just going to like smoke weed and hang out on my couch. Yeah, um, sure. And, you know, people did a lot of different things, uh, but it was definitely, I feel like I'm still kind of, for me, it, al- it gave me the space to go, okay, what do I actually want to be saying on stage now? Like, mm. how, how do I want to show up on stage and what do I want to do? And then that kind of shifted some things where I was like, oh, there's actually some different rooms or different spaces that now I need to move to because these rooms and spaces that I'm in right now, like, it's just not, you know, when you're talking about like using your words, cause you want to be heard. And yeah. I'm like, some of these things I'm talking about, these other rooms or spaces just aren't the vehicle for this place, for this thing to be heard right now. Like I kind of have to go and, and, and share this other places, which was like a really difficult transition for me because kind of felt like it was like stripping my identity a little bit, you know, where I was like, oh, well, dude, this is like the only thing like, you know, green rooms. That's like the only thing I know, you know, where I was like, I don't, you know, I got to go try something else. Like, I don't know. That sounds terrifying. Um, But I feel like also coming back after the pandemic, it gave everybody this feeling of like, um, oomph. like yeah. people who really wanted it. And those of us that are here to share in whatever capacity that is, it was even more this kind of like gusto. So I feel like a lot of my close friends that I've seen and then friends, my proxy, you know, where it's like, I'm always just cheering, you know, cheering yeah. you guys on like via the internet. Um, yeah. It's just so cool. Cause I feel like you're like cook, at least, you know, outside view, it feels like you're like cooking with gas now. It's like, okay, getting these like, you know, um, host spots, opener spots and like really just like moving. Yeah. I think a lot of motivation for stand up coming out of the pandemic came from me not having any friends in comedy. <laughs> yeah. I started to stand up before the pandemic and then everything shut down. And I was like, I don't know how to do comedy during the pandemic. Cause I don't know anybody. Yeah. Um, and then I feel like also a lot of like the fuel and the gas and the motivation coming from, I don't have any friends. I want friends in comedy. So I learn how to do comedy. And then I feel like, just acts of service with them has gotten me a lot of, how do, what do I say? More, added more fuel to the fire. So I think things started happening for me so fast because I was doing comedy without any expectation. I was literally mm. doing it like 
if I got spots, great. But like my main goal was like, okay, I need to meet people. I need to nurture relationships with people. How can I be of service so I can like learn things? Like I used to take people out to dinner and like pay for their dinner and be like, let me just ask you a hundred questions because you're a comic and I don't know anything. So stuff like that. And I think that's, I think that's how it all started working for me. And also you want to like all these friendships that I was nurturing and I would just go to their shows and support them. And then that's just how I was learning, you know? Yeah. Is that weird? Is that dumb? Does that make sense? No, no, 100%. I love it. And it's actually like super inspiring for where I am right now too, which is like, yeah, you, you have to, like I'm essentially like built, right. So I moved to Atlanta. Now I'm in yeah. like this whole new community. And like, that's a, a lot of the reason why I like moved to this, this new space is to create yeah. a new community in a place where, you know, um, actually my agent here has me going out for better things that I was doing in oh, LA. I so I was like, Oh, I bet. That's another thing I'd love to talk to you about. I bet. Oh mm-hmm. yeah. I was like, would be happy to chat about it, but yeah, I, um, I was shocked because when, you know, she was like, Hey, I'm gonna be honest with you. Like we don't have a ton of comedy because a lot of that it's, you know, um, it's not as big budget. So it's all still shot in LA, but like, uh, there's a lot of bigger, you know, like the Ozarks and stranger things and all that that shoots out here. Um, but I mean, obviously it's a smaller market. So there is that it's also like, I'm now aging into where I feel like energetically I've always showed up on screen, which like for me is the best. Like I've always played 40 yeah my whole life <laughs> but now yeah. it's yeah 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 like I'm like I am ready for my booking season do you know what I mean because uh-huh. like when you talk about doing community theater and I'm like I played every like aunt yeah. or grandma or like yeah. the teacher and yeah it's, it's character actor energy right so it's been so nice of um I actually feel like really stretching my legs is the first time where like I don't take down my self-tape setup now I haven't done that in so long where it's like, oh, I have enough that it makes sense to like, keep it up. Um, Um, Congratulations. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where I was like, you know, and we've gotten like some, some pins, some avails for some stuff. Nothing's broke through yet, but I was just like, felt really good. Cause I feel like similarly uh, acting was just, I always was just on stage. I I was kind of like a dealer's choice, whatever you want, I'll do whatever. Um, And then I found second city. And then I was like, Oh, this is like acting and comedy. This is great. And then I struggled a little bit when I transitioned to being out in LA because that, I mean, there's groundlings, but like, that's the only vehicle. And I was like, okay, so it's groundlings or bust. That's it. So I kind of started doing stand up because I was like, well, this is a way I can like fully express myself and do whatever I want. So I just like kind of made that jump. Um, and then had a great agent, a couple book things and, just wasn't, I wasn't really finding my footing there. So it feels nice to, to be back to like, kind of what you were sharing about, like no expectations. I'm just having fun and like doing my thing. And I haven't been in that place in so long. Um, But to answer your question, I don't know why I went on that rant. The acts of service and just being around is so important. Like I always tell people that it's like, whatever the circles are that you want to be in, like go and be in that thing because the feeling of it, and especially with comedy, like comedy to me is a rhythm. It's a vibe, right? Like I just got goosebumps. Like when you go into the main room at the comedy store, like there's just already this vibe and this expectation of like, this is going to be a good night. Oh, you know, and like that, that feeling doesn't exist in a lot of places, which I think is why like a lot of comics, we all find each other. Cause it's like you, yeah, you, me, you just like we did, you know, at the open mic. Um, what do you feel like, what are the things that you were asking people? What were the things that you like wanted to learn? Like, what did you feel like you didn't know that now has been like super beneficial for you? Wow. Well, first, congratulations on your amazing journey with your calls and like your auditions, like getting callbacks, getting put on avails means that you're booking the room and that's what counts. So good for you. Thanks. Thanks. Um, You're welcome. Um, That's insanity. You should be very proud of that. Yeah. Um, Thank you. Thank you. Insanity. Um, (laughs) Okay. This is going to sound so funny, but I didn't, I, the first thing I asked people was I didn't understand how to write a joke. So like, 
I didn't, I had somebody take me through like premise setup punchline. Cause I feel like my forte is, uh, I always find really good punchlines, but I have no idea how to get there. Mm. So I was like, how do I get there? And then I met a comic who I, him and I write very similar. And I met him at a show and he was very kind. And we're both from the East coast. So we were vibing and I just felt comfortable talking to him. And I was like, he's like, well, I work backwards. He mm. goes, I do punchline first and then figure out how to get there. And I was like, you can do that. Um, <laughs> and then I met another comic at the improv who told me, and this, I was stunned. He was like, and you know, you can lie to get to the punchline, right? Yep. Yep. I was like, huh? He's like, your jokes don't have to be like, doesn't actually have to be your brother. Yeah. 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 I was like, huh? What do you mean? Um, so then I was, so then, so I write like kind of like a typewriter. So like, I'll pick a concept Mm -hmm. like, um, Let's see. Right now I'm working on um, what my life is as a nanny babysitter. So like I'll work on five minutes of that until for like two to three months until it's a perfect five. And then I'll push it away and set it down and organize it where it needs to be. But uh, but the fact that he told me that I could lie, I was like, oh, so I'm getting my punchline. So I'm just going to fucking if I can get there and and like fib a little bit. I was like, that's interesting. I usually, I would say 20% is like fake, but I, sure. I really like to be honest. And what I, the stand-up comedians like that I was getting the most influence from were people who were, and no knock to the other comedians, there's no judgment, but like the comedians I was influenced by the most when I came out of the pandemic and started getting to know were the ones who were like talking about the stuff that bothers them and not just elevators. Do you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. I don't need to hear about your Uber experience. I'm over yeah, it. I don't need to do that. I was yeah. like, I got my first booking at the improv by doing five minutes on my dad's heart attack. You know what I mean? Yeah. Cause that's, ri- <laughs> but see, Oh, I just got goosebumps again. This is the thing I tell comics all the time. And there are some comics that are super heady and they can write jokes about nothing. And we love yeah, them. I love them. that. Yeah. But most people can't do that. And the difference between somebody who is going to become a successful touring comic, like make their living by being a comic is somebody who's telling you about themselves. They're telling you how they view the world. Because anybody, there's so many comics and that's, I kind of got jaded. I might still be a little bit of going to certain open mics and things. Cause I'm like, if I, one more person gets up there and tells a Twitter joke, I'm going to blow my head off. Yeah. It's not interesting. And, you know, and, and, and that's just for me too. That's my type of comic. Like those are also my type of people. I, I would rather sit down with somebody. I'd rather see you once a month and actually hear how you're doing. And be like, great, love you. Call me if you need me and then go do your thing and I'll see you in another month. Like I'm not somebody who's interested in fluff and especially because, you know, I, I know and I could imagine what that experience was like for you with your dad. And I, from what I remember, you know, following your journey that it was very isolated and all that. It's like, that's also something you have no percentage of who's in the audience that's going through that or is about to go through that. And so you're also sharing something that's actually fucking relatable. Yeah, absolutely. That's, and I'm really into Brene Brown. Um, I don't know if you are, (laughs) you probably are. Of course you are. But my gosh, yeah. Her book, Daring Greatly, like changed my life. She was like, you like need, if you are being vulnerable, which is uncertainty plus risk, then you are in the arena and everybody else, she doesn't say it like this, but she goes, everybody else can go fuck themselves. Like I want to be in the arena. Yeah. That's all like, I want to be in there. I want to be fighting tooth and nail. I want to be, you know, my jokes can be like really healing for me too. Cause especially when I was, I bring up my dad a lot. Cause it was, you know, it was, it was a, the most traumatic thing that's ever happened to me, but it also like changed my whole life. And I attribute a lot of my most recent success to being with him through when he got sick. Um, Cause once he got sick, I was like, if I can handle my dad, in a coma in the ICU for three weeks, everything else is nothing. Like none of this, nothing else matters. When you have a sick parent and you find out through their will that you're, you, me specifically, Emma, you're in charge of them. Nobody else. You're like, dude, everything else is fucking cake. 
Yep. You know, but like you go in the arena, you get in there and you be vulnerable. And that's like why I like to talk, talk about dark shit on stage. I say it's like lightly dark. It's not like Anthony Jesselnik dark, but I'm like, yeah, we're going to talk about my eating disorder and we're going to talk about my dad being sick. And we're going to talk about being a fatty, being little. You but know? I also, everybody loves a little fatty. Really? I, um, <laughs> I stay in my next special. I yeah. very, <laughs> very, so funny. very problematic. People are already trying to cancel me. I, um, no, I think that's so great. And I love hearing that. And I like, it just energizes me too. So like a lot of just like a share about me, that's kind of like this lane that I'm switching over into, which is like, I, I basically want to, you know, I tell people it's like, um, you know, it's like the, uh, it's like Whitney Cummings and Brene Brown had a baby. That's kind of what I'm wanting to do, which is like, I'm wanting to share the things that Brene shares. I want to share things that actually change, hopefully our lives, yeah. but I want to give it to you in a way that's still entertaining. Absolutely. You know? does that. Yeah. Right. It's like, I, I want to give something to you in a way that it's like, oh, that's really funny and relatable, but that's the best thing to me about comedy, which is like, it, it crosses lines. And it also like, if I can make you laugh, I've now disarmed you. So any judgments, you know, if you came in with judgments about what you're going to see today or whatever, and I make you laugh, then you're listening to me. You're actually taking me in. Yeah. So I've, you know, I really love that of, um, there's a, a, Stephen Pressfield is a, um, author and he did the art of war and turning pro they're really good. And, uh, one of his things, yeah, is about like, you know, if you want to be in the arena, you're going to get stomped on by bulls. Like you got, you got to go and you got to be in the center. And like, that's where, that's where the nectar is. That's where the real change happens. And you're absolutely right. Because I felt similarly, you know, the old age Hollywood thing of like, well, if you have a baby, once you have a family, then like you're out. It's like, yeah, it changed a lot. Alex and I couldn't go out every night to do stand up or like your priorities change certainly, but I feel similarly in that way where I'm like, oh, if I can push a baby out yeah. and like, you know, and like that was a very traumatic experience. My son ended up in the NICU for a few days. I was bleeding out. It's a whole thing. Yeah. Very scary. You know, when you kind of come to those lines of being like, oh, this is the shit that actually matters. Yeah. So like me being nervous, if you guys are going to like me at this, you know, open mic where I might get booked for something else. This is, this is chump change, you That's know, it. like I can do this. And, and I feel like the other thing I was just thinking about, um, what I love when you were like, I talk about dark shit. I talk about my eating disorder. I talk about my dad, which this is something I always tell comics to figure out how we as an audience view you and then use that as your secret weapon. So mm. like for you, like you're blonde, you're beautiful, you're bubbly. So yeah. we're taking you in, you know, in this way of like, oh, I would love for you to sit my kids. <laughs> and then when you're like, Hey, let's talk about what it feels like to be, you know, like binge and purge for four days or whatever it is that you're sharing. Yeah. Right. Like we didn't expect you to say that. So you already have that juxtaposition of like what you're offering us versus like how you're presenting energetically to us. So that's also that something that makes you like so engaging to watch because I know that you're telling me the truth, even if those 20%, right. The connective tissue that gets yeah. you to the joke. Yeah. That's just whatever. But like, I believe you when you're telling me something and yeah. that to me is the judge of a really good standup. That's why Audrey Stewart's so great. Yeah. Cause you believe her. She's talking faster than her brain is even thinking. And yeah. that's why you love watching her because you know, she's telling you the truth. He's telling the truth. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. Thank you so much. Yeah. That's, and she, you know, she's a babysitter too. <laughs> All the best comics are, you know? Yeah. And I feel like the pre-rec if, can I talk about you for a moment? Oh, sure. I feel like I remember, you know, when you had Jonah and I listened to that amazing podcast where you had that like spiritual awakening, mama oh, yeah. bear, obsessed. Let me get my cat out of here. Casey, come on, Casey, go rewrite your story somewhere else. Okay. Go give us another record. Um, yeah, I feel so, I feel like you were going to find similarity in my story about my dad by having Jonah. Cause I feel like, don't you think, and you've already said it, but like, none of it is so heavy since you've done, since you've literally had a baby. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and your experience was difficult and don't, do you feel tougher? Do you feel more grounded? 
I definitely feel more grounded. I also feel less scared. I feel like I'm somebody who, because I'm a pretty soft soul, I'm very soft. Yeah. Um, I didn't learn till much more recently of like, oh, you can still be that and like fake it a little bit. Like they're, you know, like, you know, kind of like that 20% you were saying, it's like, it's okay if you're only 70% of the way there. And that other 30% is just fronting. That's totally fine. You know, like, and I think now I feel that a little bit more of like, even those days where I am like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm doing this. I can't believe I'm doing this. My whole career was going somewhere. And then I'm like, now I just want to talk about people's feelings. Like, what am I doing? You know, it's like, no, you do know what you're doing. Like get back out there. Like you can do it. And so I feel like having Jonah and physically birthing somebody is, is that strength that you're talking about, right? Yeah. And then it's also, it does, and I like to always say, like, I think your heart can expand. You don't have to have children. But for me, it was a huge heart expander where I was like, oh, I am, um, there's so much more potential than I even know. And so being able to tap into that now, whether it's being on stage or like I'm taking new meetings with managers and really trying to find the right person. And it's like, don't back down. Same thing. You're in the arena. You're finding somebody who understands you and is going to work with you. We've been doing this a long time. Yeah. If we don't find them right off the bat, that's okay. But we're going to take our time. And it's kind of what it's really given me now that I've talked in circles for two minutes uh, is ownership. I own myself, I own my gifts, I own the stage and I own my time. And I don't think I felt like I deserved that Mm. until having a kid and really understanding what I'm capable of and that expansiveness and also being able to then recognize that every other woman that's ever, or person that's had a kid is capable of the same thing. And also being able to extend that right to my other friends as well. I mean, it's opened me up to traumatic experiences. Like really, although I don't know what it would be like to, you know, to go through what you did with your dad for three weeks, but knowing those human experiences that push us to expand in ways that we didn't know that we could. Yeah. To me, yeah. That's where we really learn who we are. Yeah. I love that you said ownership. Yeah. Ownership of my time, ownership of what I'm like capable of. Yeah. Wow. Cause I feel like, and, and, you know, and it's like really what we're just laughing. We're just sitting here looking at each other. Like, wow, (laughs) I learned so much from you. (laughs) Well, I know, but that, I think that's also why I'm like, I think we should talk about trauma on stage. I think we should. Everybody's experiencing it. And, you know, when you talk about, it's like, well, we talk about airplanes because everybody's been on an airplane or like we, you know, we all talk about sex because everybody's had it. I'm like, yeah. And also everybody's been through highly traumatic situations that no one asks them about. And, you know, are like, we're all experiencing these things. So whether we choose to talk about them or not, they're still happening. Absolutely. To me, that's that thing that you were talking about. Can you tell how much you've energized me in this conversation? Yeah. (laughs) But that, that feeling, right. Of like, yeah, like get in the arena, talk about the shit that's scary. Talk about the things that other people aren't talking about. Yeah. I had a, I have, I'm a little spooky. So I wake up at like three 22 most nights, just like awake with thoughts. I'm spooky. Okay. And I had a thought the other night about stand-up comedians and I was like, Am, cause I'm, you know, in a new relationship and I'm really working hard to be like, okay, am I being emotionally available for this person? Mm. And then I, it brought me to think about my standup. And I was like, I think I'm realizing that the emotionally available comics are, are doing the work to talk about the stuff. Mm. And I'm like, and then maybe this is like a silly joke. And I'm like, are the people who are talking about spaghetti, not emotionally available? I, mean, I don't know. I, I don't know. That, that thought from 322 AM is like, should be your merch. That's, I mean, <laughs> just so good that, and everybody loves a little fatty. Those, I mean, just everybody loves a little fatty. I was like, am I emotionally available because I'm talking about this stuff? I don't know. It's just a thought that I had. I think if nothing else, it's being emotionally aware. And I also think it's, yeah. being, I think it's being emotionally brave. I mean, that's what really bums me out, to be honest. There's a lot of comic circles. I 
I couldn't really take it anymore because a lot of places felt so low vibrational where it's like, everybody's going to leave this show. Everybody's going to black out everybody. Yeah. And I was like, I, this is not the place that's going to nurture my own creativity anymore. Yeah. And no. I don't, I don't think that everybody's doing that. Right. But and LA is actually the best place to get sober because most people are. So, you know, that was, that was a good place to do that. But yeah. um, it does, it does bum me out where yeah. there, you know, there are a lot of spaces where um I actually got into it with a comic one time uh at an open mic because we weren't supposed to be on our phones whatever we're also sit there and watch each other and this kid is just saying stuff he's so lost and he's just going after women and saying absurd stuff and I'm like you don't deserve my attention so I was looking at my notes or something he's bombing bombing and then he calls me out that I'm not paying attention to him and I remember in my head or I was like I have two options right now I can look at him and go, then you should try harder. Whoa. But, I, but I'm like, which is what I wanted to say. Right. But I had enough yeah. self-control just to let him lash out at me because that's what yeah. he needed to do yeah. and know that like, that's what he needed and I can take it and just keep it moving. But there was just a lot of that, that was still, you know, happening. So I think you're absolutely right of, you know, um, and it's also just like the comics who really know themselves, who's actually sharing stuff, like yeah. who's really telling me your perspective on the world. Yeah, that's what I'm interested in. Much like you said at the beginning of this, like I rather see you once a month and have a very beautiful, vulnerable, deep discussion and be like, okay, love you, bye. Uh, um, yeah, I don't know where I was going with that, but. <laughs> No, I love that. So here's what we're going to do. Cause I, um, I, yeah, yeah, sent, yeah. I, I sent you an invite through, yeah. um, my personal, not through our business zoom. So okay. it's going to cut us off in two minutes. Okay. So that's a good place. So yeah. we'll pop off and pop back on that same link. Um, okay. but do you want to talk about any of your eating stuff that you're talking about on stage or working with Stacia, any of that? Oh, yeah. There- oh yeah. Okay. Definitely. So we'll transition from what we were just talking about into that. So let's yeah, sign yeah. off. And we'll sign back on. Okay. Can I tell you that the single most devastating thing just happened to me, which was the second half of my conversation with the king did not save. I, it's totally my error. I have a new Zoom account. The setting was not correct. It did not save to the cloud. Um, I've spent the last... 40 minutes re-regulating my nervous system because I was just about ready to jump off the side of my house. Uh, I brought myself back down. It was so good. I mean, most of the conversations I have people are really good, but like, I'm like, if it would have been with somebody where I was like, this was kind of boring, not really going anywhere. Like I'd be sad. I'd I'd be embarrassed. Obviously it's my job to make sure that this is like done correctly, but I would have been like, that's fine. The second half of our conversation is one of the best conversations I've had in a really long time. Okay. So now I am manically going to try to just tell you a couple of the things that Margot talked about, which I understand is insane. Again, I, I, I mean, it, she shared such beautiful things and we, it was just one of those conversations where it was like, man, I'm so glad I asked her to talk to me. So I just had to keep remembering that I, I mean, I know this is like, you're like, yeah, well, I'm your audience. I didn't get to hear it. So I don't care. But like for me, ultimately I was like, I got to have the conversation and I got to hear what she shared with me. Um, And, but it was literally as it was happening and I was like, gosh, this is so good. I can't wait for people to hear this. Like, this is such valuable stuff. Uh, So this sucks. It sucks. It's a day that sucks. Um, but this is what happens. Uh, you know, when it's just you mistakes happen. So I'm going to let it be a mistake, but I do want to share with you some of the stuff that Margo shared. Uh, obviously it's like way better when she shared it and it was awesome and everyone should follow Margo and she's going to be rich and famous and I can't wait to be in her green room when she does her first special. Um, but so we, we, you know, we left the recording talking about having conversations with people where you really feel like you're having a soul conversation rather than just, you know, like running around talking. And, and Margo was sharing how when she really made that change of having boundaries for herself, like 
she said she was dating this guy was like an like literally one of those just awful relationships where you get off the train and you're like wow can't believe i did that for x amount of you know time and another comic came over to her and was like oh it sounds like what you need is boundaries (laughs) you know and this idea that we think that boundaries are something that keep people away but in reality it's something that keeps us safe and it's allowing people to come in so she shared and she's like dating this new guy and she's like, yeah, he does like this like super hot thing where he's just like, hey, I, I turn off my phone at night and I read. So I, I'm not going to always be texting you good night. She's like, enough. So, of course, I'm like, oh, why not? But then in reality, she's like, how sexy is that? I'll be like, yeah, OK, boy. T- what was you reading, though? Tell me what you're reading. And just what the difference of that was like for her, where like she was working on self regulating herself of acknowledging like, oh, you not texting me isn't about me. It's about you taking care of you. And just when we make that distinction and we feel secure in ourselves, we can be in relationships with people, platonic or otherwise, where we allow people to take care of themselves. And so just kind of what that adjustment is like when we start dating people and having friends and people in our lives that make our nervous systems feel good, people who take care of themselves. And I was sharing, I was like, yeah, I, when my husband and I got married, I gave myself a ring and it's the one that's the closest, uh, to me, you know, and then there's like the wedding ring and engagement ring or whatever. But I was like, the whole point was so I would remember that. Like, I feel like my whole life I ran around wanting to feel safe. And for whatever reason, I didn't have that feeling at the core building blocks of my life when I was really little. So I ran around to everybody else, you know, it's like that book, like, Oh, are you my mother? You know? And it's like the birds running around to every animal in the kingdom and just, you know, trying to find their mother. And it's like, that's how we were sharing that we both felt about for ourselves. It was like this need, this true need to feel safe. So we're just running around to everybody else asking them to see us and how that's the antithesis of, figuring out who you are like she was like when I first started seeing my therapist and my therapist was like you know okay so who is Margot and she was like "Mm, I don't know what do you mean by that like I'm a comic I'm an actor I have a green card like what do you want from me I'm obsessed with Taylor Swift like what else and her therapist was like well maybe you want to like make a list and she's like a list like you know Whereas that feeling of somebody wants to get to know you and you're like you don't even really know who you are so, you know, as we were sharing earlier, Margot is very open about her eating disorders and stuff like that. So I was saying, you know, what do you feel like all of this shift to have people in your life that are high vibrational that lift you up? Like, where did that distinction come in for you? Was it your mind or your body first? Um, and as I suspected, she was like, oh, when I started moving my body and was talking about this idea of like, you know, things in motion stay in motion. So if you wake up and you start moving your body, like she does 10,000 steps a day. And she's like, if I wake up and I do that in the morning, like that's, you know, that's my rhythm. I'm already in it. Things in motion stay in motion. And, uh, you know, one of the friends of the podcast, Stacia Patwell, School of Thought. And, you know, um, Stacia helped Margot lose 50 pounds. And really, you know, this is around the time that she started doing stand up around the time, like all of these major changes started shifting. Right. Because, again, Things in motion stay in motion. You really decide to change one thing, you're going to change everything. It, it, it's, it's physics. You can't not, right? So she told me that, uh, that she, you know, she was like, so before I really started doing stand-up, I was a fit model. She was like, which is not fitness model. It literally stands for fit model. So she was making, as she said, I, she was like, I was rich, like really, really rich. Um, just making gobs of money. Because she was like a perfect size, you know, 18 to 20. And so she would go to all these corporate offices and have to stand in front of a panel of people who would judge the way these clothes look on her, as she described, self or, you know, a plus size body and talk about her. She's like, oh, and then I'm just was surprised that I hated myself. Like, could you imagine that was her job? And then, you know, it's this sick cyclical thing when we when we don't value ourselves and we get we get stuck in that of like you know well the reward is tons of money so I guess it's not that bad I have thousands of dollars to go spend at Target it's I guess it's not that bad right so that's the problem we have high reward for something we're gonna stay doing that thing even though we know it's not good for us so she's in this thing and then you know she said a couple of times that you know they would ask her like well you know what's your opinion and 
as she said earlier in the podcast of when she realized like oh I, I'm supposed to you know use my voice and that's why I got into stand up that she said the more brave she started to get and she would say well you know I feel like plus size people want to wear clothes that represent them in this way and, you know she was really wanting to advocate for herself and this group of people and surprised as no one corporate was like mm, yeah that's not really what we meant we just meant like do you want different shoulder lengths you know like old navy's like yeah we don't really give a shit about your like opinions right we just like want to sell super cheap t-shirts to you for you know way too much money um and so just what a mind fuck that was for her and finally she got to this place Oh, because I was going into the pandemic and she was like, you know, I was going in and going in and doing this, but again, making so much money that I couldn't get out of it. And she said she was vegan at the time, which if you're vegan, but also have dysregulated eating, like forget about it. You're basically just eating like bread and vegan mac and cheese. Like it's not healthy. Right. And so the pandemic hit and then her space was filled with like bags and bags and bags of these clothes. And now she's getting on Zoom and standing in front of these corporate hacks that are judging her body and not listening to her point of view. So she finally called her agent who had just lost some weight at the time too. It was like, listen, girl, I got to talk to you as my friend, not as my agent. Like I've got to lose weight. I cannot do this. I think she said she was tapping out at like 250. She didn't feel healthy. You know, this like yo-yo. She was like, I wasn't making any clear choices. She was like, of course I wasn't because I was either starving myself so I'm going out with dudes I'm not supposed to. I'm putting myself in all these like dangerous, essentially, situations because I'm not clear-headed. I'm abusing my body, and I hated myself, right? And then what happens when we hate ourselves? We hang out with other people who are low vibrational, and this, you know, it's just that that cycle that goes on and on and on, right? And if you're listening to this podcast, it's probably because you've been in that place before or maybe you're in that place right now. So again, so I'm so sad you can't hear Margot sharing this in her own words because it was just so powerful. And, you know, so her agent was like, all right, focus on losing the weight. We'll call some of your clients and see if they want to utilize you at a different size. Well, then she found out from another friend that all of these companies actually were going to fire her anyway because she started to speak up for herself. Shocker, right? So she's like, okay, so I can't even advocate for, you know, plus size people. And then like, I'm tired of being fat, like, fuck this. So she finds Stacia. And she's like, all right, I'm going to do your program. Can I pay you half now and half later? And Stacia, who is like my favorite foul mouth trainer of all time. And she was like, no, because if you only pay me half, then you're not going to show up. You got to give me all the money now. <laughs> so this was, you know, I always say when, when we have a walk of, you know, spiritual awakening or when you're really coming into your own, you have these opportunities. There's opportunities that you have to decide that you are going to do something different or you're not. And a lot of times things describe themselves as you're going to do something different, but you're not actually doing something different. So she knew in that moment, Stacia was right. She pays half the amount of money. She's not actually doing the work and she's going to be like, oh, but I tried. And then you're going to go right back into that cycle. Low vibration, overeating, being, you know, this fit model on Zoom and fucking hating yourself. So she's like, so now I've lost all these modeling jobs. I basically take out what's left of my savings and pay Stacia to start taking these classes. And then slowly what happens? She's like, well, now I'm invested because I've given her all the rest of my money, right? And then it, things in motion stay in motion. You know, she started to really pay attention to what she identifies as uh, like food neutrality. So there isn't good and bad food, right? And, and it's also the thing that I love so much that she shared too, which is like, you can eat for like food for enjoyment. She's like, listen, if there's cake at a wedding, like I'm going to eat the cake. Okay. That this is like the best part of the wedding. I'm going to eat the cake. Right. But that doesn't mean that I need to then eat cake all of the time that there there's, you know, when we're eating for fuel and, you know, and it's like, and then I was like, yeah. And then it also takes that stress out of our mind of like constantly spinning of what should we eat or not eat. And it becomes this huge conversation. It's like, talk about not being clear headed when you spend all day in your head, just trying to identify what you should or should not eat. You're not even present in your life. And so she was like, now if I know I'm going out to eat on a date, I know I need like protein, you know, a carb and a vegetable. And she's like, great. That takes all the stress out of it. I know what I need to eat. I know like what I'm doing. Great. No big deal. And so making that readjustment and knowing what's eating for fuel and what is, you know, on occasion eating for pleasure and being able to make that distinction. And that's when we really got into this like idea of safety where I was like, you know, I'm like, I get it. I mean, for me, mine was right. It's like food is just the trigger, but it's not actually that food is what's controlling you. It's food is the trigger. I was like, for me, it was booze. 
because it works. It makes that thing that everything that's trying to come to the surface, it shoves it down and shoves it down and shoves it down. And food does the same thing. There's plenty of things. Sex, cheating, all sorts of stuff. Gambling, drug use, you name it. Of so perpetual lying, uh, stealing, uh, you know, buying expensive stuff, like all of that. It's all stuff just to just keep pushing it down and push it down and push it down. She got to the place. She's like, I don't want to do that anymore. And and again, that clarity that comes from actually taking care of yourself because we get stuck in those cycles. You know, she was like, she talks about it on stage, and you know, she was like, my mom put me on Weight Watchers when I was ten. You know, and she was like, so I spent my whole life wanting my body to be something for everybody else. I didn't even have ownership over it. And that's when we really got into it. Again, if you got to hear this part of the conversation, it'd be life changing for you right now. And instead, you're just hearing me, you know, regurgitate it back. But, you know, when I talked about it, I said, yeah, but as young women, I think the narrative is changing. But like, we don't learn how to nourish our bodies. We aren't taught ownership over our bodies what we're taught is flaunt your body or hide your body that's it there's two categories and when those are the two options for you first of all no wonder there's so much like judgment amongst women because that's just survival in and of itself so you know what margo is describing of like always needing your body to look a certain way for approval for other people and she was like yeah no wonder i went into that meeting with my therapist and she said who is margo hamilton and i'm like laughed in her face you know, and it is where it's like, you know, she shared too of she was like, I think now I've learned that like ultimately safety is what is the most, you know, like feeling safe is kind of what I've always been chasing because I grew up in a chaotic household and like always wanting just to feel safe. And I was like, and that's what's so crazy is that I was like, I feel the same way. There was like, you know, codependent and all this trauma bonding you know where she was like the amount of people I've trauma bonded with and I was like oh yeah it could be like the name of my next special it's like insane you know just I'm really good at it and when you when you step out of that and you're doing things that are ownership for yourself and you have that ownership you know that she found through way of being there with her dad when he was in ICU for three weeks and realizing like she's the one that calls the shots like it's there in black and white in the will. It's up to her. That was teaching her that sense of ownership, this idea of running around and needing everybody's approval and everything else that fed into all of these other things that got her to where she was. Being able to have that experience with her dad enabled her to redefine what the ownership is going to be. And, you know, so she was asking me about having Jonah and, and and birthing a child and I said yeah I feel like in my own way it did that for me it pushed me to find this sense of ownership for myself of like oh this is the thing that like I did and really put me in my sense of like here are the things that I can do to make me feel safe and take care of me and they're the most simple things it's always the things that we know but for whatever reason it's like it feels silly as an adult to truly like mentally self-parent yourself like this morning, I had to wake up and go, we're going to go to the gym today because when we move our body, we feel better because I, I, you know, I was sharing, I'm such a sensitive person that I feel like I take on everybody else's energy. I take on my husband's energy. I take on Jonah's energy and then, you know, everything, not to mention just get on the internet. Like, yeah, good fucking luck to your nervous system then. Right. And then it's like our assistant's here or someone's watching Jonah, you know, my, my family's over. And I just get all of this gunk that gets stuck in my body that's nervous energy and it doesn't have anywhere to go. So what I used to do is just, you know, black out or, you know, it's like and Margo's like, yeah, just eat a loaf of bread and be like, oh, that'll make it feel better. But, you know, things in motion stay in motion. If I get up in the morning and I say, I'm going to go to the gym and I'm going to move this out of my body. And then I come home and I make an active decision to nourish my body with food. I feel like then I can move on with my day. And it's really interesting that, you know, although I haven't shared the same body and, you know, um, journey and story that Margot had, it's still a similar story, right? We all have these stories where it's like mine was just hiding and pretend whether when my body looked the best or when my body, I was the most insecure about it. It still wasn't paying attention to, to her. It, it wasn't saying thank you, body. It wasn't nourishing. It was still like you're either a prize or now you're dog shit. You're a prize or now you're dog shit. And it was never even the ownership of, oh, wait a minute, this is mine. 
And that's, you know, I, I told her too, I said, well, we don't teach women how to nourish our bodies. And even more, you know, in all the conversations about consent and everything came up with me too. I said, I, yeah, I remember talking to my husband and I was like, I, I go, it never even occurred to me that there were in some situations where like I could have had, I, I didn't have to hook up with somebody. I could have been like, yeah, yeah, I'm not into this. But you know, where it was like, I, again, I think the narrative is changing now, but even that autonomy of like, oh, if somebody else wants my body, then I guess that means like they want me. So we'll just do this thing. Not even consenting or even thinking through that. Like I would get to make the decision if I wanted to participate in something like that. And so it's just really brought up all of these very, you know, what might be described as like dark, but really beautiful, beautiful things that we got to talk about. So Margot, I'm so grateful for you to having this conversation with me. And I'm even more grateful that when I texted you and I was like, I'm devastated. We lost all of it. Um, that you were like, hey, I'm so grateful we had the conversation. I loved every minute of it. And it just really made me feel good because ultimately this podcast is to help and share with other people. But it's really for me to put myself out there and connect with people that I really love. And, you know, Margot, that was something that you said, too, which was like, She's like, do you feel like when you decided to be more high vibrational that you found those people? And I was like, oh, yeah, because it's just like a lightning bug. You know, when you're in that cycle of low self-esteem, self-hatred, those are the only people that you're going to attract. When you decide that you have boundaries, when you decide that you eat to nourish your body, that you take ownership and you're like, fuck all of this loads of money for people to just use me. I'm going to use my voice. I'm going to get on stage and tell people what I think. I'm going to take ownership over my body. That's a different vibration. So it was like, of course, you're going to bring in all of these people that are on a new level. I was like, that's exactly why when you were sitting there in overalls, we didn't even speak to each other. And I was like, that girl gets it. She's on the level. And I was like, it's because that was the switch that you were like, I'm going to do things differently. And so, you know, we kind of ended on the idea of I said, is there anything that you would really want to, to leave people with? And she thought for a minute, she was like, honestly, as lame as it is, like, just be yourself, like be yourself. And I was like, I know I love it. I feel like it's like the most basic of things. But it's like, again, it's that idea of ownership. And we were talking about that with comics where, you know, she was like talking about what things to talk about on stage and what's too dark and what's not. And I was like, you know, to me, the best thing about going there is like, that's what I want more comics to do. That's what I want art to be. I don't need it to be a recycled version of somebody else. You know, and there's this idea where it's like, oh, well, you know, observational humor is great because like everybody's been in an Uber or everybody's been to a wedding. I'm like, sure. But also everybody's been through a shitty breakup. More people than not have body issues. Most people have had this dark night of the soul. So we also have the opportunity to talk about shit that doesn't feel so great and make it funny so that other people that are sitting there don't feel so alone. So I just was so lit up by the fact that I was like, yeah, keep talking about this stuff on stage. Talk about your eating disorder. Talk about, you know, trauma bonding with dudes. Talk about what it was like to sit there with your dad in ICU not knowing if he was going to make it through and feeling like the loneliest person in the world. Because there's somebody else who's sitting out there who's having that exact same experience. And to me, it's like that's truly what comedy is, right? If I say a joke and you laugh, you're laughing out of recognition. So I just was so unbelievably jazzed to have my conversation uh, with Margot today. I'm so sorry, you guys. It's the learning curve. It's just me. Um, so hopefully, you know, such a big mistake that it'll be forever ingrained in my memory that I will double, triple check. Um, but I'm so grateful for you for sticking around. I'm pretty sure I hit all the high notes. Um, as always, don't keep just listening to me talk about Margot. Go and follow her at Calm Down Margot. She wanted me to make sure to let you know she doesn't do Twitter. She doesn't. She's not into it. She doesn't understand. So if you go to Twitter, you will not find her there. But you can find her on Instagram and Twitter at Calm Down Margot. I will add all of her stuff in the uh, show notes. So please go and follow her. If you're in the L.A. area, go see her. She gets up a lot at the improv. Very, very funny. Margot, thank you so much, and thank you for being kind to me uh, of uh, making a, a mistake that feels pretty big, but in the grand scheme isn't that great. Uh, my favorite thing was, you know, we talked about in the beginning of this episode of getting in the arena and I, you know, after apologizing nine million times uh, via text, 
And I said, you know, uh, keep staying out there in the arena. And she said, it feels really good to be in the arena with somebody like you. So uh, keep lifting each other up and be yourself, you guys. That's it for me. Uh, doing this outro a second time around. Doesn't it feel good? Uh, wherever you are, uh, you can follow me. You can share this podcast. Please share this podcast. Rate, subscribe, all the things. You know, you've heard outros a million times. Um, if The biggest thing is like word of mouth. If you like this podcast, tell somebody. Um, all of those things. If you leave me a nice review, DM, uh, send me a screenshot. I'll send you five bucks. Coffee on me, baby. Okay? Uh, always here to give back. As always, tune out. Tune in. Let me know.